0: You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. So right now, like in this moment, in these days, it's the most wonderful time of the year. This is the happiest season of all, right? And uh, for my family at this time of year, one of the things that we like to do at my house is to play board games because it's cold outside so we, we like to get the metaphorical chestnuts roasting on an open fire, we gather around the table and, and we, we break out the games and we play. And one of the games that we have been playing so far this year is this uh, game, it's new for us, it's the game called Codenames. I know this game, Codenames? Oh, good, look at it. okay, so we're behind a little bit maybe. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a word association game, right? There's all kinds of word association games out there. But what's fun about uh, word association games is the different ways that different people connect different words, right? So you, you see a word like spider, and one person will think insect, and then the next person will think nightmare, right and that's fun like we we enjoy those sorts of things so let me just try a couple words on you this morning okay I'm just going to mention two words this is a phrase a a phrase of two words I'm going to say these two words and I want you as I say them as you hear them I want you to try to keep track with what comes into your mind when you hear these words okay here goes ready good works What comes into your mind when you think about, when you hear the phrase, good works? Now, in the book of Titus, uh, we've seen in this book that the way that we live is a major theme, right? As As we've been walking through this letter, we've talked a lot about this. We've talked about how we must live congruent with the scriptures, empowered by the gospel. Pastor David Matthews said that God's people should live in this world like he lived in this world through the person of his son. Pastor Joe said our conduct must, must be in line with our convictions. Then Pastor Joshua said we live right through god's grace because we've been made right by god's grace and so we've talked a lot about this and this is all true and good and still though i I wonder what you think when you think about good works what comes into your mind when you hear the phrase good works and so as it turns out here at the end of this letter the apostle paul has a lot to say about good works even here in the last half of chapter 3 in verses 8 to 15 the apostle paul gives us something like a crash course on good works and there are at least five lessons that we find here okay and so for the rest of our time in this sermon i want us just to look closely at each of these five lessons okay these are five lessons on good works that should shape the way that we think about good works. All right, we're gonna walk through these. Let's pray again and we'll get started. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit who attends your word. We need your Holy Spirit. So help us, help us we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Crash Course. This is the Crash Course on Good Works. And this is lesson number one. Lesson number one Good Works Flow from the Wander of Triumph Grace. And this is verse 8. Paul starts verse 8 by saying, the saying is trustworthy. And that's a phrase there, the saying is trustworthy. Paul has used that only four other times in his letters, and all of them have been in First and Second Timothy. If you have a New American Standard Bible, they translate it, this is a trustworthy statement. The King James says, this is a faithful saying. And Paul uses this phrase to emphasize what he has been saying most recently. Sometimes he uses it to, to preface what he's about to say, and other times, like here, he uses it to highlight what he has just said previously. And either way, as readers, when we see this phrase, we are supposed to pay extra special attention, okay? This is something that we cannot miss. And in chapter three, verse eight, the faithful saying, the trustworthy statement, is referring to all that Paul has just laid out in verses 4 to 7. Now these are the verses that we looked at last week. And these verses show us, they mean to show us, the vastness of our salvation. It starts with God the Father who in his nature is good and merciful and who resolved to display his nature through the appearing of God the Son in his life, death, and resurrection, who rescued us despite us by God the Spirit, bringing us to life and then being poured into our hearts so that we are gifted with a righteous verdict in order to inherit the future world that God has promised. Okay, that's verses four to seven. In a word, we call this the gospel because that's that's what it is, this is the gospel. But I want us to to, to see here the Trinitarian glory in what Paul is saying. The grace of God behind our salvation is triune grace. This is the grace that comes from God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And the way that Paul describes this triune grace here in chapter three is like a burrito bowl of gospel metaphors. Okay, look at this here. He says, you can see in these verses, it involves rescue, regeneration, new creation, justification, adoption. It's like the Apostle Paul is hat-tipping every angle of the diamond of triune grace, which should make us say, wow, this is stunning. This is amazing. And Paul says back to us, it is. It is amazing. And I don't want you to miss it. You can take this to the bank. You can build your life on what I'm saying here. This wonder, the wonder of trial and grace is a faithful saying. It's a trustworthy statement. And so Titus is listening and we're listening. And then Paul says to Titus, I want you to insist on these things. Insist on these things so that believers may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Okay, so what are good works? I'll try to give a little definition here for what good works are. Other words for works are words like duties or deeds, okay? And so good works or good deeds are things that you do from faith in love for the good of others from faith in love for the good of others it's not less than Christian behavior because the heart matters it's from faith working through love but it's more than just ongoing behavior because these things are volitional actions there are things that we do things that we mean to do that are directed at the good of others and There's a lot more we need to say here, a lot of of freight to unload in these verses, but for now, more broadly, I just want you to notice the connection in verse eight between good works and the wonder of triune grace. Titus is to insist, assert, repeat, the wonder of triune grace for the purpose of believers devoting themselves to good works. Titus, preach, God's grace to the church, so that the church will do good works. That's the connection here. And that is never what we would think of ourselves. Like if it were left up to us, like if you were to send a group of people into a room and they were supposed to come up with how they're gonna get other humans to do good works, I, I can tell you what they're coming out of the room with, okay? Purgatory, indulgences. You do good works or else. But That's not what the Apostle Paul says. Paul tells Titus that the way to lead people into doing good works is to tell them that they are not saved by good works, but by the grace of God. That's precisely what Paul says in verse five. He says, God saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. The basis of our salvation is the grace of God alone in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ who pay for all our sins so that no debt remains that requires our contribution. Preach that fountain and watch the good works flow. That's lesson number one. Lesson number one, good works flow from the wonder of trial and grace. Now lesson number two, good works come by deliberate, consistent attention. Okay? They flow from trial and grace, but they just don't happen by themselves. They come by deliberate, consistent attention. Look at verse eight again. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. You see how Paul says that? It's not so that those who have believed in God may do good works. It's that they may be careful to devote themselves to good works. And we see the same idea in verse 14. Look over to verse 14. Verse 14. Paul says, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. Learn. In both cases, good works are are something that involve deliberate, consistent attention. Good works are things that we mean to do. We're careful to do them. We must learn to do them. And in verse 14, the word there for learn is where we get our word disciple. So, So good works are the sort of things that we have to be apprenticed into, which means, that tomorrow morning when you wake up and step out of bed, chances are you're not gonna step into a bunch of good works. Not typically how it happens. The path of good works is not a red carpet that just magically unfolds before us every step we take in life. Now, God has prepared for us good works that we should walk in them, Ephesians 2.10. But walking in those good works comes by means of you thinking about them. You you consider and you calculate and you make choices that will turn into actions that flow from the wonder of and grace. And it's not an action that is one and done. Glad we got that over with. But this is a way of living. This is a lifestyle of devoting yourself to these good works. And here, here's an example, okay? Examples, I think, help. On Thursday, last week, Ange Easterwood went to the, the neonatal intensive care unit at Children's Hospital, and she rescued a newborn baby. Pastor David shot me a text. He's on a work trip. He's out of town. He shot me a text, and he said, hey, uh, when I left, the house for this trip we had four children now when I'm coming back home we're gonna have five children and that's because the Easter Woods are foster parents and now they have two children in their care and that is a good work that's a good work but but when they got the phone call last week just It wasn't just like a random phone call out of the blue. Okay, the Easterwoods just didn't decide all of a sudden, hey, I think we'll be a haven for endangered children today. See, they, they have given deliberate, consistent attention to this. They have made choices, including hours of training and preparation to put themselves on a path where they get those phone calls and take those steps to care for a four pound newborn baby who has nowhere to go. They have been careful to devote themselves to good works. They have given deliberate, consistent attention to these things and we as Christians, we're all called to do this. And sometimes it's gonna be these big, high level steps of faith like with David and Ange. And other times, most of the time, it's gonna be smaller, simpler things that you do, that we do on a daily basis. Like right now for me, in this season of life that that we're in, every morning I get to pack my kids a lunch for school. I think that's a good work. You might be thinking, wait a second, is he claiming that feeding his children is a good work? I am. At least my kids, okay? I, I've thought about this. I, I, think, I, I think it counts because when I packed their lunch, I put it in a paper bag and each of the paper bags I, I personalize for each kid. I get a Sharpie, I draw them a little thing on it and I do it on purpose. I do it in faith. I do it as a labor of love from a Christian father who wants his children to know You matter to me. I care about you. I love you. I think it's a good work. It is the sort of thing that I've learned. It's the sort of thing that I've seen my wife, Melissa, do for people all the time. Simple, volitional, non-Instagrammed actions for the good of others. And there are all kinds of things like this. All kinds of things like this that you currently do or could do. There are all kinds of things like this that we currently do or could do, big or small, that are good works if they are done from faith in love for the good of others. And so church, be careful to do them. Learn to do them. Good works flow from the wonder of triumph and grace and lesson number two, they come, lesson number two, they come by deliberate, consistent attention. Lesson number three, good works have effects that matter. This is the end of verse eight. There's a lot going on in verse eight. Okay, look at, look at the end of verse eight. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Now the, the, these things here is referring to the good works that Paul has just mentioned. It, it includes the wonder of throne grace in verses four to seven, because that's where the good works come from. But specifically here, Paul is saying that good works are excellent and profitable for people. We see this same idea in verse 14. Verse 14, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to, which means for the purpose of, to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. In other words, most basically, Paul's saying, do good works because of the practical effect they will have. If we put verses 8 and 14 together, Paul's saying, do good works because they will be truly good for others. And what we see here is the legit horizontal dimension of good works, okay? Now, one one adage in ministry and also in the Christian life, you've probably heard this, is that faithfulness matters more than fruitfulness, and that is absolutely true. In the sense that the vertical dimension of faith and obedience is non-negotiable, right? It doesn't matter how successful you are or how helpful you are or seem to be horizontally. If you're not doing it right before and unto the Lord, it's for nothing. All right, faithfulness is the main thing. The chief purpose of ministry and good works is for the glory of God. The final question is what does God think? That's what we should be asking all the time, routinely. What does God think? We, we should ask that routinely because we want to have that kind of Godward orientation in how we live, right? This, this, is, this is how faithfulness looks. But that doesn't mean that fruitfulness doesn't matter. In verse 8, Paul says that good works are excellent and profitable for people. Verse 14, he says that good works help people who have needs. And that helpfulness is fruitfulness because to not help cases of urgent need is to be unfruitful and Paul does not want that. He says meet the need to be fruitful. If we look ahead to verse 9 for just a minute, the reason that Paul tells Titus to avoid foolish controversies is because they are unfruitful. Foolish controversies are are unprofitable and worthless. They do not help. Therefore, because they do not help, avoid them. Avoid them because of their effect. That's what Paul is saying. So our saying that faithfulness matters more than fruitfulness is true. But that doesn't mean that we should disfruitfulness, okay? We should rightly emphasize faithfulness as essential, and we should beware of ever compromising faithfulness for an effect. But we need to remember that God cares about the effect. He cares. It's, it's not just the thought that matters. I, we just can't get past this in the text. We just, the effect matters here in verse 8 and verse 14. Faithfulness matters most. Faithfulness pleases God. And good works done in faithfulness over time will be fruitful. They, they will help people. And that effect of helping people matters okay that's lesson number three good works have effects that matter lesson number four good works require avoiding foolish controversy this is verse nine paul gives titus a directive here that's put in contrast to the previous directive of verse eight verse eight paul says i want you to insist on these things insist on the wonder of trial and grace verse nine he says but in contrast to insisting on the wonder of trial and grace avoid foolish controversies genealogies dissensions and quarrels about the law because they don't help now i think the banner description of these things that paul mentions is foolish controversies okay foolish controversies include disputes about genealogies and dissensions and quarrels about the law and these are all things that were brought up by the false teachers, okay? What Paul says here in chapter three is connected back to the false teachers he talked about in chapter one, okay? Go back to chapter one, verse 10. Paul calls the false teachers insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers. And we don't know all the details of this false teaching, but because Paul references the circumcision party in chapter one, verse 10, and because of the mention of genealogies and quarrels about the law here in chapter 3, verse 9, most likely these false teachers were, were Jewish people who, who totally made a mess of the Old Testament. Okay, that's probably what this is. Some type of Jewish false teaching that we've seen elsewhere in the New Testament. We don't know the full details on purpose, and, and, and that's because Paul wants what he says here to apply to all kinds of false teaching. This should should apply to all kinds of false teaching, whatever it is, because whatever the false teaching is, it upsets whole families. It's divisive. It's harmful. And therefore, false teaching must be silenced. We've talked about this in Titus. But there's something that we need to reconcile here when it comes to this false teaching. In chapter 1, verse 9, a few weeks ago, Paul says there, "...to silence the false teachers by," verse 13, "...rebuking them sharply." silence the false teachers by rebuking them sharply. But here in chapter three, verse nine, Paul says, avoid foolish controversies. Everybody see that? If You go one nine and then three nine. Rebuke false teachers, avoid foolish controversies. And so what if, this is the question, what if the false teaching becomes a foolish controversy. What, what do we do with that? Look at verse 10. As for the person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. So say that a pastor, he, he does the rebuke that Paul talks about in chapter one, verse nine. But if the rebuke doesn't land, he does it a second time. Well, after the second time, if there is, are still no positive results from the rebuke, the pastor should have nothing more to do with him, which is another word for avoid. Now I wanna just, I wanna highlight for you the personal nature of verse 10. The fullest controversies of verse nine will come through people in the church. These are not issues out there removed from the congregation. They, they are not Twitter debates. They are not the latest headline, okay? It may start out there, but these are things within the church body. We're talking about doctrinal gobbledygook promoted by people with faces, not avatars. That's what Paul's talking about. And, and in this letter to Titus, Paul gives us something like a little handbook, like a little manual for how pastors should handle these people. And all of this requires on-the-ground prudence. You have to be discerning with these things. But by and large, in an effort to silence false teaching, there are two rebukes, and if they don't work, you're, we're done. You're, you're, you're finished. Because, this is... This is Paul's rationale here because after two rounds of rebukes, the false teaching can become a nagging, foolish controversy that entangles you and distracts you from insisting on the wonder of trial and grace and the good works that flow from it. And that's what we're about. That's what we're about. We're about the wonder of trial and grace. We're about the good works that flow from that wonder. So when it comes to foolish controversies, Ain't nobody got time for that that's what paul's saying to titus we're done right this is lesson number four lesson number four good works require us to avoid foolish controversy now here's five this is the last one okay five lesson number five good works lead us to send well and we see this in the last verses there in verse 12 look at verse 12. When I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speak Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good work, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. There, There are three types of movement that's happening here. First, you see Paul is sending Artemis and Tychicus to Titus. Next, you see Titus, he's going to go visit Paul at Nicopolis. And then third, Paul tells Titus to send Zenos and Apollos on their way, lacking nothing. You, you can call this sort of thing here, I think this, is, this is the revolving door of a local church on mission. And it's super fascinating to me when you you consider this in light of the whole book. Because first, in the book of Titus, we see how the church starts. That's chapter 1. Then we see how the church gets more established. That's chapters 2 and 3. And then here at the very end of the book, we see the church is sending out. So these are the three integrated pieces of a church that's being planted, becoming rooted, and bearing fruit. And we're going to talk more about that next year when it comes to our church. I'm excited about that. But what I want you to see for now in this book, I I want you to see how this unfolds here. And especially I want you to see the sending piece at the end. Because in this letter, the Apostle Paul has had so much to say about the health of the church in Crete. Paul is first concerned with that. He tells Titus to plant these churches by appointing qualified men as pastors, pastors who teach good doctrine and rebuke bad doctrine because doctrine is important and you've got to get that right if the church is going to be healthy and become what God intends it to be as a witness to the reign of Jesus by living congruent with the gospel, congruent with the scriptures empowered by the gospel right? We've seen that. That's what Titus is about. Titus gets that. We're tracking with Titus here. Doctrinal integrity is central to the health of the local church, and you need to focus on that so that the church flourishes and abounds in good works that help people and adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Titus, you need to pour your energy into the in-house needs of your flock and also You need to send well. Not just send, but send well. Which means the good works of the church, the the good works of the church are not just for those on the inside, but we're, we're looking out there. We're looking out there, we're sending out there, and we're asking the question, what do they need? What what do our cities need? What do our planters need? What do our missionaries need? And how can we help? Lesson five, good works lead us to send well. So good works are things that we do from faith in love for the good of others, and they flow from the wonder of trial and grace. They come by deliberate, consistent attention. They have effects that matter. They require us to avoid foolish controversy, and they lead us to sin well. And so, when you hear the words good works, good works. try it again good works if you hear that and the first thing you think is I'm not saved by them you're exactly right you are not saved by them you are saved by Jesus alone on the basis of his grace alone through faith alone it is the gift of God not a result of works amen amen and amen your salvation which is not the result of good works does result in good works because you've been created in christ jesus to walk in them ephesians two ten. and god god is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you, we, may abound in every good work. Cities Church, we are called and we are equipped by God to do good works and so let us be careful to devote ourselves to them and that's what brings us now to the table because If good works flow from the wonder of triune grace, and they do, this is the place each week that we come to as a church to remember the wonder. That's what we're doing. That's the point. We come to this table to set our minds and our hearts on the cross of Jesus, sent by the Father. Led by the Spirit, Jesus who is Emmanuel. He came to die for us. And when we take the bread and we take the cup, we, we give him thanks. And each Sunday as we do this, we, we give Jesus thanks together as the covenant members of City's Church. But if you're here and you trust in Jesus, if you are united to him by faith, if, if you embrace the death and resurrection of Jesus as your only hope, we invite you to eat and to drink with us. And the pastors are gonna come now. We're gonna serve the elements to you. You can just put your hand out like this and we'll come by and drop it in your hand. The, the body of Jesus is the true bread. The blood of Jesus is the true drink. Let us serve you.